0: Shannon Falconer is the CEO of Biocraft. Biocraft will be selling a cultivated mouse meat product for pet food. The cultivated pet food market may often be overlooked, but it is worth over a whopping $100 billion and is also a main source of income for the animal agriculture industry. Why mouse meat? Well, of course, ancestrally, it's what cats and dogs have always eaten. My name is Alex Crisp and welcome to the Future of Foods interviews where I speak to experts and enthusiasts in cellular agriculture and novel foods. Bryant Research, the go-to research company for all things cellular agriculture, is the sponsor of this episode. Okay, uh, thank you Shannon Falconer. for coming on to Future of Food Podcast. It's very nice to meet you. You are the CEO of Biocraft, uh located in Vienna, which is a pet food company. Um you also you've also got a PhD uh, um in human micro in human microbiomes. Is that right? Um and you've worked on your doctorate. So the first the first uh question I want to ask you um is do you think dogs and cats can live healthily on a meat-free diet?
1: Well, uh, so to answer your question, and by the way, hello, Alex, thank you for having me on your show. I'm very happy to be here. Um, So the short answer to your question is yes, I do think they can. Um, I think there's some major caveats when we talk about cats, though. So for dogs, uh, dogs are metabolically, they're omnivores. So they're much more similar to humans, actually, than they are to cats in terms of nutritional requirements. Um, The biggest challenge with dogs, though, is that a dogs, dogs do love meat, um, and uh, arguably even more than humans, uh, and b that most consumers want to feed most pet parents want to feed their dogs meat. So although definitely, um, the plant based uh, area of dog food is certainly growing, and that's great. And dogs can live long, happy, healthy, healthy lives on plant-based diets. And um, I think, from the consumer perspective, uh, it's going to be possibly never that um, we see all pet parents agree that they are comfortable feeding their dogs a plant-based diet. Hence why we at BioCraft are also focusing on making cultured meat um, for dogs as well. Uh, In terms of plant-based diets for cats, um, you know, from a nutritional perspective, when we think about um, any kind of animal, regardless of whether or not it's a human or a cat, um, of course all animals need specific nutrients to grow not specific ingredients right so as long as we could get the nutrients from meat that cats require uh, without the meat itself then cats can live a healthy life on a plant-based diet but the question is can we get all the nutrients that cats need from plants the answer to that is no so what companies making vegan cat foods uh, because there are Oh, there are a very, very, very small few. Um, what those companies have done is they use they use synthetically sourced versions of the nutrients that would otherwise come from meat. So those nutrients that make a cat a carnivore, for example, taurine, vitamin A, arachidonic acid, um, plants don't produce those nutrients and um, only animal cells produce those nutrients in any meaningful quantities. And so um, if you're not going to provide a uh, those nutrients by way of meat as an ingredient, then um, then you have to provide them through synthetic supplementation. So that's an option when it comes to vegan cat food. And in fact, I think a recent study out uh, by Andrew Knight has showed that um, that cats can, uh, they can live very, they can live a a healthy life um, on a plant based diet the the other ch- the challenge though again there's the consumer acceptance piece but the other very 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 big significant piece is the palatability so will cats eat a plant-based diet and many of them won't so um so it's all well and good um, if nutritionally that food is complete and cats could live a full enriched life on it but if they don't eat the food then you're kind of screwed right so um and the main driver of palatability what makes a cat want to eat something um largely it's around it's the animal fat it's not animal protein it's not another nutrient it's largely animal fat. And what we can't get from plants or even synthetically sourced is animal fat. Animal fat comes from animals. So um so this is a problem when we're talking about vegan cat food. Will cats eat it? Okay. Some will some won't. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um the product that you're that you're creating at at Biocraft there, what's What's it based on? Is it, um, you know, what meat does it, is it cultivating?
1: So we are focused on making, uh, we started with um, mouse, mouse being the ancestral diet of the cat. So in the wild, cats eat mice, they eat small birds, and they eat insects. Although chicken and beef, um, seafood, although those are the main ingredients in current commercial pet food, they're also the main allergens for our cats and dogs. So, in making cultured meat, uh, in growing sort of a, a source of meat that is most appropriate for our cats and dogs, we really saw this as an opportunity. Um, yeah, to to grow mouse, which from a nutritional perspective, ancestral perspective, is most appropriate. So, um, so mouse will be the um, that will be our sort of um, the, the first ingredient that we launch. We also have derived uh, cell lines from chicken as well, although chicken is an allergen for uh, it is the main allergen in food. For cats and dogs, nevertheless, chicken is still the main um the main ingredient in commercial pet food. Many cats and dogs are not allergic to chicken, so we have this alternative as well um it's a little bit in terms of development. We're not quite as advanced with the chicken cell line as we are with the mouse um, uh, but those are the two that we have at the moment
0: okay that's that's interesting so there are many um there are many dogs and cats out there kind of eating food that they might be allergic to. And their owners might not even know that they're allergic to it.
1: They may not. Um, so typically an allergen uh, would exhibit. So the, the symptoms would be some kind of a lot of the time, it's some kind of dermatological um, flare up. So whether or not it's really itchy skin or red flaking, I'm um, losing some of their fur. Um, some dogs or cats have uh, more intestinal disturbances, but in any case, usually the first thing a vet will do if somebody brings their cat or dog to the vet um, with either of these um. Uh, symptoms presenting, and the the vet suspects that it is an allergen, uh, the first thing they will do is they'll change the the food and the protein source of the food. Um, And sometimes that is to what's referred to as a hydrolyzed protein diet, which basically just means that that um, the the protein found um, that would come from the animal um, that's treated in a way before it's added into the food, such that that protein is broken down into very, 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 very small um, units such that the body does no longer recognize it as an allergen. Um, of course, the other way to deal with this problem is just to, you know, feed the the pet uh, a full protein source that's not hydrolyzed, but that their body doesn't actually see as an allergen.
0: Okay, all right. So um, it's int- It's it's fascinating that you're using mouse as your as your cell line. I wonder whether there are any other pet food providers out there that supply mouse to cats and dogs?
1: Um, not really, not in any meaningful way. Um, so the the majority of pet food, commercial pet food, um, it relies on um, basically using ingredients that come from the 50% of the animal that humans don't want to eat um, or what is referred to specifically in the US. Um, Uh, less so in Europe, but the sort of the dead stock. So those animals that don't ever make it to slaughter, because they die in transit, or due to dehydration, suffocation, disease. And so if an animal is not slaughtered for human consumption, um, it is then sold into well, it's then sort of shunted towards the the category of pet food. Um, So mouse is just not something that people eat. So there's no supply chain for mouse um, Mm -hmm. in the human food category. Therefore, there's no supply chain for um, mouse in the pet food category as well. Uh, And this is really the sole reason why pet food largely consists of uh, chicken and beef and pork and seafood is because those are the main uh, animals that humans eat, not because Mm -hmm. they're necessarily most appropriate at all for our cats and dogs.
0: So are you uh, are you slightly concerned that it's a bit of a gamble and you might create it and cats and dogs might not like it anymore?
1: Uh, no, not at all. Um, so, I mean, if we think about, again, from an ancestral perspective, this is what cats evolved eating. Um, and in fact, for, you know, cats that are feral cats living in in the wild or living, um, in feral colonies, unless they're attended by a feral colony keeper, who's feeding them a commercial pet cat food, this is still what cats and dogs eat. Um, and so, and in any case as well, we know that just with our product and sort of blending it with, um, uh blending with other ingredients that are already used in pet food not animal-based ingredients but other plant-based products blending our product with our ingredient with those other ingredients um we know that acceptance is not an issue so that is not that's not the part that we're worried about
0: okay so which is the part you're worried about
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I think right now, as a startup, as a young startup, we're always, you know, we're always very, very mindful of, you know, where we're, we're a pre-revenue company. And as long as any company is a pre-revenue company, um, you always are relying on funding to sort of make sure you get to the next milestone. Um, So that's, I'd say, definitely, those are the, those are the pieces that make me most concerned. Um, And if, you know, and I know you have been, and probably your followers too, um, have been listening to the news. And there's been a lot of stir recently about Cultured Me. and and that it's never going to be financially viable. Um, And I think from our side, you know, because we have, because we're producing something that's a little bit different from, well, not a little bit, quite a lot different from what the human food manufacturers are making. We are already um, very, very competitive with, um, with current costs that would be, you know, that would be competitive with meat for pet food. Uh, Nevertheless, we are still lumped into the sort of the cultured category. So I think people um, immediately may assume that um, we're not in the running, um, or rather we are too similar to to the human food companies, but, um, just to sort of just explain that a little bit more because we are creating something called a cultured meat slurry. So, um, so for us, we're focused on not creating a steak that looks like a steak and sits on the grill and sizzles like a steak. We are really only focused on the nutritional Components of our food, right? Because as I said, you know, all animals need nutrients, not ingredients. So the nutritional piece is key. So for us, really, the priority is, um, you know, when we take our animal cells and we grow them in this nutrient-rich broth that is largely it's a plant-based, it's not an animal-based media. um, But then those animal cells that we've derived, right, our cell lines, they then take those plant-based inputs or nutrients and then they convert them to animal, basically those animal nutrients that are so, um, that are required by cats and dogs. So as I say, so for example, um, if we give our cats our sorry, our cells, something like, um, a precursor, so carotene. So our bodies, our, our animal bodies can take, um, can eat a carrot and take something called beta carotene and our bodies have the enzymatic ability to then convert that beta carotene into vitamin a which our bodies then need a cat's the reason why a cat is a carnivore is because it doesn't have um, in its sort of its cellular composition doesn't allow it to take something like carotene and convert it into vitamin a so the cat actually requires a dietary source of complete vitamin A. And so we're using cells that have the ability, animal cells to convert those precursor plant-based nutrients into those nutrients the cats require. So when we harvest um, our product from the bioreactor, we are not just harvesting the biomass, not just the cells themselves, which is what the human food category is doing, right? They're only focusing on the cells themselves, the cultured meat. We are harvesting everything from our bioreactor, which is both the cells, but importantly, all of the nutrients that those cells have made and spit out into the surrounding environment. So we take it all out of the bioreactor. So it's quite a quite a um, liquidy sort of material, but nevertheless, um, it is nutritionally robust which is what we require and in the pet food category actually a type of ingredient that pet food manufacturers already use regularly is something called a meat slurry and so we ultimately are that's the ingredient um Uh, Profile that we are basically trying to mimic, uh, or we are mimicking, so that pet food manufacturers can then replace their conventional meat slurries with our cultured meat slurry um, and produce a product that's pretty similar to what they're producing today. But of course, using a sort of a meat source that's made without the animal.
0: Right. So but clearly the animal wouldn't be, um, you know, the dog or the cat wouldn't be eating a slurry. They would be eating it in a sort of dried form, would they? Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. So they would be so something like, um, you know, a kibble or a wet food pate. So typically right now, the pet food industry, um, you know, it's, most people when they feed their cats or dogs either a kibble or a wet food pate it's not just 100% meat Um, and so it is a combination of um, meat as well as various plant-based ingredients and so for us we would be this would be an ingredient uh, in what will be a final product so um, our ingredient would replace the percentage of the ingredient of the cultured meat slurry or sorry the conventional meat slurry um but it's not 100 cultured meat nope
0: okay all right fascinating do you think um you're going to have any problems getting regulatory approval to to uh to produce and put on the market your product
1: um i mean problems so will it be sort of a will there be a um, I don't know if we can say an arduous road or a long road, but there will be a process, that's for sure. Um, whether or not it's going to be a problem, I don't know it's going to be a problem. It's just going to be a process. I wonder um, so-
0: whether the, uh, to have pet food approved is different from having human food approved. I mean, clearly it would be a different process.
1: It is a different process. So in the US, um, the so the FDA... Uh, it's the Center for Veterinary Medicine under the FDA umbrella. It, this is the; these are the regulatory folks who are monitoring uh, cultured meat or granting regulatory approval for cultured meat for pet food in the U.S. Um, and so it's true. Yet, yeah, in, in in the EU and in the UK, it will be different. Um, when i mean different from the the same bodies who would otherwise regulate uh, cultured meat for human consumption. Hmm. Um, so we are in communication with uh, the center for veterinary medicine. We have a clear path to market. We know what we need to do uh, in order, uh, in order to, um, uh, what information they need before they would consider granting approval. Um, so I don't think that this is something that's going to be difficult. I think it's just, it's something, as they say, it's, it's a process. It's going to take hmm. some time. Um, we know though that in the U S regulatory approval has been given to two companies um, for a consumption for their chicken, for humans to con- consume. Um, so we know that at least this leads one to believe that, you know, inherently there's no, a priori reason to believe that um you know it's going to be an absolute no-go for pet food either it won't be it will just be a process
0: Mm. And are you going to apply uh in the u.s first is that is that your plan
1: um i wouldn't say necessarily first i think you know we're definitely we're working with um a partner or um we're we're speaking with the, the the various bodies so we're interested ultimately we want to um disseminate our product, our ingredient as, as widely as possible. So we are definitely looking to eventually um, gain regulatory approval in the EU and the UK, um, uh, US, Asia, ultimately is, you know, far and wide as possible. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're trying to navigate those various jurisdictions.
0: Okay. Uh, and do you, is there much competition in, uh, in, in the area of kind of cultivated alternative protein pet foods?
1: Well, there are quite a few companies that are now making plant-based uh, food for cats, for dogs, uh, and a few doing um, so for cats. Um, but aside from the aside from the plant-based, uh, there is so we do know that there's one company making um, a, a product using precision fermentation, right? So this would be just the protein, um, uh, animal protein. For dog food, um, so bond pet foods in the U.S. and, and a couple of other companies have mentioned um, an interest in making cultured meat for dog food. Um, I think those are earlier companies. It's tough to say what type of um, what type of IP or uh, or cell lines or where they're at with costs and elimination of animal ingredients from their media, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so and in addition to that i'd say you know in terms of competition until any company including in the human space until any company is commercial mm. um it's tough to say i mean it, is any other startup really a competitor i think you can the metrics are only really meaningful once a company has commercialized and is actually showing traction with customers so how how
0: how's it going With the sort of scale up then, you know, clearly once it becomes commercial, you'll need to scale up. Do you have your own own bioreactors and, or will you be kind of outsourcing that?
1: Yeah, so this is something that I mean, it's definitely scale up is a is a big component of, uh, of this industry. And, uh, you know, we're included in that. And so with respect to the scale up piece, actually, we will be making a, um, I won't say too much about it right now, because we'll be making sort of a more formal announcement um, about that scale up piece uh, in the next, in the next couple of months, actually. So we're in September right now. So before the end of the year, we'll be we'll be making an announcement about that. Okay. how we're dealing with scale up <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: okay um and you said uh there was a post on your linkedin where you where you said that uh uh that the supply chain for meat is increasingly precarious both in terms of price shocks and availability uh and this is why cultivated meat is going to be um uh is going to be better so i mean can you explain by what you explain what you mean by that
1: Sure. So, I mean, I think from a, as Biocraft is um, is a is a ultimately an ingredient company, right? And so we're looking to not produce and sell the final product to the customer, but rather, um, or sorry, the the actual pet parent, but rather the manufacturer who then makes makes the final product and sells it to the customer. So, um, so our customer being the pet food manufacturers. And for those pet food manufacturers, why would they? What is their incentive to to purchase, say, for example, something like cultured meat? Um, and so we can say, you know, well, increasingly we know that a lot of consumers are are more and more interested in um, in feeding their pets foods that are environmentally sustainable, um, and that is true. Uh, and pet food manufacturers are aware of that. Um, a lot of pet food companies, as well, especially the big ones, um, do have. Um, they do have metrics that they they want to or at least they've said that they will be meeting in terms of um in terms of what their carbon footprint or not their uh without having a carbon footprint i guess is getting as close to that as possible um and so for them to sort of get closer to these um to these uh, objectives and milestones they need to start looking at how they can replace their animal-based ingredients um, and of course, with pet food manufacturer, meat being the main ingredient, um, this is a biggie for them. So, uh, But one of the main, main pieces of interest, as you just mentioned, um, is that animal, in, animal-based animal ingredients, so animal fats and animal, like the actual meat, the protein, um, it's an ingredient supply chain that is very, very volatile. It's volatile in the human food industry, but it's even more so in the pet food industry. So pet food manufacturers are very, very regularly subjected to volatile pricing, so major price spikes, um, as well as full stockouts. Um, so, you know, regardless of what we could, for no amount of money necessarily, dollars per pound or, or euros per kilo, could you buy a certain ingredient? So for example, um, for say, for example, for a skew of your pet food. So, and this is also why we would see things like, uh, for instance, uh, rabbit and turkey, based foods for dogs and cats they're actually very very popular with consumers because they are they tend to be more on the hypoallergenic side than chicken and beef um but they're not on the shelves very often and they're not on the shelves very often because those animals are not consumed as much by humans Mm. so um so especially for those more as we say they're termed sort of exotic meats um the supply chain is incredibly volatile and um So pet food manufacturers uh, to some extent steer away from these more exotic protein sources, despite that they can charge more. And despite that more consumers want them Um, just because they could at any moment undergo a stock out, then they'd have to, you know, that's it. You know, they're out of, they're out of stock. And this is, this is not good for business. So um, to be able to vertically integrate, in their supply chain, um, a meat ingredient, uh, or an animal based ingredient, um, would be hugely beneficial just in terms of adding some stability to their actual, um, to their, to their product line, of course, and to their, their financial model. Right.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Um, I just want to, to talk a little bit about your growth media. You said it, it has no animal based, uh, products in it. So are you, are you happy with your growth media now? Is it kind of where you want it to be? Uh, um, have you, you know, have you formed the end media or are you still working on that?
1: So we've, so for the mouse, I mean, every uh, every type of um, cell line, so species that we all work with, there will have to be some, there will be adaptations or optimizations made. So the initial media that we've um, optimized for is for our mouse cell line. Um, and I'd say, yes, we're, we're, very, very, very close to being final on that. So there are no animal ingredients in our in our uh, media. Um, where we're at right now is um, we, one of the important things for at least our industry in pet food is because we're using the full everything that comes out of the bioreactor, all of the ingredients that go into feeding our cells, they also have to be ingredients that are already regulatory approved for consumption by cats or dogs. So, um, so historically, where, you know, the pharmaceutical industry who has been growing animal cells for pharmaceutical applications or academia for research purposes, for decades now um, and have never had to worry about what the composition of the media is, we have to worry about it. And similarly, even for human food companies, right, when they're producing their meat, this is less of an issue because they wash the cells after. So even if they have an antioxidant in there um, or some other type of growth factor that, you know, could not, wouldn't be considered to be uh, food um food approved they wash it out so it's not an issue but for us we we do not benefit from those sort of um that kind of ease so for us we've had to swap out and substitute everything for feeding for feed and food approved uh ingredients for cat and dog food so right now with our um with our uh with our media formulation um we have we have you know two medias really we have one type of media that we use to proliferate the cells. So this is sort of the stage of the the media that supports the cells to to grow, our pluripotent stem cells to grow. And then we have another media that allows those cells to then differentiate. um, So start to turn into those cell types that actually make the nutrients that we want them to make. Um, And for our harvesting media, that media that it comes out with the cells, um, it's now 100% uh, all ingredients in there are already approved for cat and dog consumption and with our proliferation media I think 0.03 um, percent of the ingredients um, we still need to eliminate uh, to make them uh feed or food approved um but that's 0.03. so we're very 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 close
0: okay um so I'm curious to know how you uh how you how you became involved with pet food were you working in pet food before? you decided to go into into cultivated meats or was it because, I mean, you said in your profile that you are obsessed with two things, animals and science. And so is it like the combination of those two things that has brought you into this world?
1: Yeah. So I um I, so I'm a scientist by training as and as you already mentioned um uh, but I starting earlier than my academic career um I grew up with three dogs and three cats uh, I stopped eating meat at a young age for animal welfare reasons um, started volunteering in animal rescues in my early my early adulthood and have been doing so ever since um, and so when I was yeah I was working as a postdoc at Stanford University, this is when I really decided that I would um, uh, dedicate my scientific training to taking animals out of the supply chain. And at first, I thought I would go into the human food category, because of course, humans are the main consumers of animal based products. But then as I started to think about it more, um, two things became really like blatantly obvious to me, which is that, of course, you know, I haven't been eating, the, uh, I haven't been supporting the uh, animal agriculture industry for my own dietary needs for decades and I'm doing just fine but I am supporting it by purchasing food for my pets and so um so this was something that I was thinking ah okay so you know how do I solve this problem um maybe by making an alternative but then you know speaking with some other folks oh, you know, but this is really, it's a, is it really going to move the needle to actually create something that displaces uh, the ingredients in pet food? Because, you know, of course, pet food is made largely from the leftovers of the leftovers from the human food supply uh, chain. Um, but as I started to, again, dig deeper into that and just start to understand what the economics are um, in terms of the leftovers, um, I mean, sort of the, in terms of the waste stream, um, the waste that animal, that animal meat to the carcass waste is roughly you know, an over $21 billion industry globally. Um, And so when you start to think about uh, and you start to just sort of understand where the actual profit margins, not revenue, but profit margins in the animal agriculture industry are, uh, they largely come down to being able to sell their products from the waste stream products. Um, And this, is pet food. Um so when thinking about how to really make a dent in um in uh in the animal agriculture industry um and pet food being a category that nobody has ever pursued in any meaningful way before i think largely because a um people do have this misconception that it's not going to move the needle which is uh, i believe to be um very very just completely inaccurate. Um, and two because uh, People tend not to think of humans are human centric. So people tend not to think about, um, you know, what the contribution of any other thing on earth is aside from themselves. So, um, yeah, so pursuing pet food seemed like the the um, this was this was an obvious choice uh, once I had thought more. (laughs) Once I I actually put some thought into it.
0: Right. Okay. okay uh, and you you indicated at the beginning um of the interview that that you were slightly concerned about where cultivated meat was going in the media that the media had sort of said that it wasn't going to work um do you i mean is this something that concerns you at the moment
1: um so and um i'm less so i would say the that- what the media says, and um, it it definitely concerns me because it's this is what people this is the information that people have access to, right? So, um, so what comes through in the media, of course, is always very important and meaningful. Um, that said, I also uh, I also understand that in terms of scientifically um, making a product. Um, that's going to be competitive in the pet food category. Um, and, and we're thinking about cultured meat. Cultured meat is expensive. It's expensive to make. It's expensive to make in the way that the human food companies want to make it, which is creating a product that has all the three dimensionality and scaffolding that humans are used to because humans are used to eating meat, not for nutritional purposes, but for, um, tech, for that sort of, uh, for the cultural reasons or for just for enjoyment. And so, mm-hmm. um, so the downstream processing that's involved in making a cultured meat product for humans, enjoyment, um, is, is much, much, much more difficult, um, than it is to actually use a slurry-based ingredient for pet food. So so where I'm I'm concerned is where there could be sort of this conflation that we're making a product that's at the same price point as as where the human food industry is at, because actually our process is quite different, um, especially the downstream process where we don't have one. Um, So this makes it much, much cheaper and much more, commercially viable especially for an industry like pet food where um where we would need to actually achieve prices that are cheaper right mm-hmm. humans can go for dinner and they can so cultured meat can sell in 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 michelin starred um restaurants and people can spend 150 to 200 dollars um once in a blue moon um but for us we really are interested in in moving volumes because we're very we're a mission based company and so we have to be able to move volumes which means we have to be able to sell it cheaply and fortunately with our process and with our product we can do that
0: so you're pretty confident that your pet food right from the get go will be uh, at price parity
1: uh, so price parity to say, I mean, there's a, there's a spectrum in pet food, right? So even with the slurry based ingredients, so there's, there's quite a, there's quite a spectrum in terms of um, sort of the low end um, slurries that people buy um, uh, through to more sort of slurry that would come from animals that are um, free range or organic, Um So, and again, spending dependent on the actual type of meat, this also uh, determines how much, what the price point is. So there's, there's quite, I mean, up to an order of magnitude, um, Difference can exist in terms of what the cost of a slurry would be. So, when we say price parity, I'd say out the gate um, upon launch, would we be price is our are we going to be comparable to the lowest end slurry? No, we would be closer to a premium based slurry. Um, But it is also the case that uh, it's only the premium and ultra premium and ultra ultra premium segments of the pet food market that are growing um so so it, this is not as long as we can you know we are competitive with one of the categories and we we are or we will be um then this is what this is what matters
0: okay so i mean i know that the times are difficult at the moment for uh for getting funding um in this space perhaps so have you found that um, have you found that difficult do you have the funding you need
1: yeah funding is always it is always a challenge um, so we have we've we are um, uh, we have some great investors on our side, so draper associates s o s v keen growth capital um Orkla food ingredients so we have uh we have some some wonderful investors uh who have supported us and and we're soon to be bringing some more in uh in into the the family fold as well um so it's it's always difficult uh but yeah this this has been a more difficult time but Yeah, we, we have managed to secure funding thus far. Um,
0: So have you looked looked at the option of, um, of collaboration with kind of bigger pet uh, food companies? Is this something that that's a possibility?
1: Uh, I mean, we're always open to and, and interested in speaking with uh, anybody who might like to collaborate and partner. And so, depending on what those you know collaborations and partnerships look like, um, yeah, we're we're definitely always interested in in, in talking to folks for okay. sure. Mm-hmm. And
0: when do you think? When do you expect your product might be on the shelves? Then, if you were to make a prediction.
1: Um, I think for us, I would say, you know, as, as soon as 2025, um, so, you know, there won't be a product and it won't be our product, right? So it's not that consumers will go out and buy biocraft pet nutrition for their cats or dogs. Um, but, uh, we would, it won't be 2024, but, you know, as soon as 2025, um, we are anticipating being in a position to have, um, to be able to sell our ingredient, um, to pet food manufacturers,
0: Okay. All right. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. I'll just have one last question before we, uh, before, before we, um, pack up. I mean, um, kind of going back to what you were saying about the media, uh, uh, and their, their kind of depiction of the future of cultivated meat. Are you excited about the future of cultivated meat yourself?
1: Um, for, for, for pet food, very much so. Well, um,
0: more broadly perhaps.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about the possibility. Um, so uh, I, I also, you know, I think in general, in general, this is, it's, uh, I would say probably everybody in the field, um, or most people would say it's, it's taken longer than people have thought, um, to get to sort of, and, and taken more money than people have thought, um, to get to the, the point where we're at right now. Um, so, um, I'm excited and optimistic. Um, do I have some, uh, do I also have some, you know, reason to be concerned? I mean, I'd say yes, <laughs> as a scientist, yes. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm also, you know, excited and optimistic. Um, I spend most of my time thinking about the problems, the scientific challenges around um, producing the product for our consumers, which is different from the challenges that those scientists face creating a product for the human food space. So, um, but there are lots of very talented scientists out there who are thinking hard about these problems. So um, yeah, so I think it's just, it's a matter of time now, right? Because the industry has been around for a while and people have put a lot of money behind it. And so time is ticking. So the folks won't continue to support those, there are endeavors forever. And right. so uh, I think you know the time is it's drawing it's it's um it's drawing close when people we we really need to see price parity happen soon um for the human food sphere. And again, so this has been absolutely my focus for the pet food sphere because unless we can actually get to that price parity or close to it point then forget it. Um so I feel quite uh yes, once now that we've actually gotten to that point with our product, I feel very, very relieved and very, very confident that we'll get there uh, with our product, with the whole industry. I, I just don't have enough. um I don't have enough information to be able no, to say. No. Yeah. So
0: I mean, you mm-hmm. said that there were a couple of kind of scientific uh, hurdles to get uh, over in the broader kind of cultivated meat space. What's what are those? Hurdles.
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, there's a few things. So, certainly, people, folks talk a lot about the media price, and that's true. And so, people have made, you know, very, very um, huge strides, leaps and bounds, Biocraft as well, in terms of bringing the media cost down. Um, cell density, you know, so it's not just for the human food segment anyway. It's not just about what the cost is per liter of media. It's how many cells, how much meat you can grow per liter of media. Um, And it's not just one liter. Uh, It it could be, you know, depending on the company, depending on the strategy, it may be many, many, many liters of of media that's required per, say, for example, kilo of meat. Um, and then there's the downstream processing. So you know you can grow it up in, in 3D in the con- sort of conventional um, the conventional three-dimensional suspension bioreactor. But then from there, um, there's the actual processing. So taking what would be just sort of a, a slurry and then washing the cells and then blending them, either blending them with other plant-based ingredients or using them just 100% uh, or close to 100 percent with the animal cells to actually make a product so there's it's very very nuanced um but every company is doing something quite different and so i think it's dangerous to to um, paint with a a, a, just a wide brush uh the whole industry because folks within the industry are are doing things very very differently it depends on cell line it depends on ultimately what their ultimate product is what the downstream processing is what the upstream processing is um many many variations
0: yeah I mean, it's an exciting, it's an exciting world and it would probably be uh, um, improved by more collaboration, I suppose, because there are, you know, lots of it is being done behind closed doors, but I guess that's the nature of competition and the industry, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the, it's, yeah, it is, it's the nature of, I guess, of business um, when Mm. you're, when you have, yeah, when it's, when it's uh, private companies that are being funded um, but yes yeah, certainly collaboration is uh it always moves the needle more quickly yeah
0: okay well um thank you shannon that's uh, been very um uh, educational for me um i love uh, i i love listening to scientists who 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 can just um explain it all so so clearly so thank you for that um and uh enjoy the rest of your day thank you for coming on the future of foods podcast
1: Thanks very much for having me, Alex. Yeah, it was a pleasure.
0: My pleasure.